Welcome to Casting Hope, a sermon podcast of Hope Presbyterian Church in Columbus, Ohio. My name is Joe Hack, lead pastor at Hope, and we are so glad you're listening in wherever you are. In this moment of social distancing, we hope that our audio and streaming resources meet you where you are at and help you stay connected to God and to His promises. We're continuing our sermon series in the Gospel of Luke. We're calling this sermon series Following Jesus in the Wilderness uh, because that is the exact image that Luke gives us. In the middle of Luke's Gospel, Luke tells us that Jesus sets his face toward Jerusalem. And from that moment on, Jesus is leading his followers through the wilderness toward the great city of Jerusalem. And if you know the story, you know that what awaits Jesus is his rejection, his crucifixion, his burial, and yes, his resurrection and ascension. But right now, he is on a journey through the wilderness toward the cross. And that's what Luke tells us. Now, Luke is a historian, but he's a pastor historian, he's a poet historian. So he's telling us more than what just merely happened. He's also giving us a picture of discipleship. To be a disciple, according to Luke's gospel, to follow Jesus, is to follow Jesus in the wilderness toward the cross. And this is a timely thing to be thinking about because this is the season of Lent in the church calendar. Lent is designed to imitate the wilderness journey of Israel and of Jesus, the true and perfect Israel. So, for the next few weeks, leading into Good Friday and Easter, we are following Jesus through the wilderness using the Gospel of Luke as our guide. Last week we looked at fear in the wilderness from Luke 12. And this morning we will uh, fast forward a bit to Luke 14, starting in verse 7. So let me just read... You can follow along. And we'll pray. This is God's word. Now, Jesus told a parable to those who were invited. When he noticed how they chose the places of honor. Saying to them, when you are invited by someone to a wedding feast. Do not sit down in a place of honor. Lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by And he who invited you both will come to you and say, Give your place to this person. And then you will begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you're invited, go and sit in the lowest place. So that when your host comes, he may say to your friend, Move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at table with you. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. And he who humbles himself will be exalted. He said also to the man who invited him, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or your rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. You will be happy because they cannot repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. In verse 15, When one of those who reclined at table with him heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. 
But Jesus said to him, A man once gave a great banquet and invited him. And at the time for the banquet, he sent a servant to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I bought a field, and I have to go out and see it. Please have me excused. And another said, I bought five yoke of oxen, and I have to go examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I've married a wife, and therefore I can't come. So the servant came and reported these things to his master, and the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and into the lanes of the city, and bring in the poor and the crippled, the blind and the lame. And the servant said, Sir, what you've commanded has been done, and there still is room. And the master said to the servant, Go out to the highways and the hedges, and compel people to come in, that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who are invited shall taste my banquet. This is God's word. Lord, with the words of my mouth, with the meditation of all of our hearts together, be pleasing and acceptable to you this morning. You are a rock, you are a redeemer, Holy Spirit. This word that you superintended, would you now soften our hearts so that we would receive it? And receive it in such a way that our hearts would be singing and worshiping by the end. And it's in Jesus' name we pray this. Amen. Well, when I was in fourth grade, my parents, will say, subjected me to a monthly etiquette class. So I was taught all kinds of things. I was taught how to fill a dance card. You know what those are? I was taught how to dance the waltz. Um, I was taught how to shake a hand, how to look at people in the eyes. I was taught all kinds of table manners. Now notice I said I was taught. I didn't say I learned these things. The other day, actually... um, my son was practicing the piano, and he was practicing a song that was in 3-4 time. And so I asked Josie to dance. I did not have a dance card. And I asked her to dance, and I said, let's dance the waltz. And as we started dancing the waltz, she had to teach me how to dance the waltz. <laughs> and as for table, you know, table manners, I think you can ask my family if any of that stuck. So here's the thing. Good on my parents for trying. Etiquette. You know, it's easy to mock etiquette these days. Uh, I think my generation, I'm an elder millennial, you know, was an elder millennial, born in 82. We like, we, we are the best at mocking etiquette, you know, that's our thing. Uh, but apparently it's making a comeback, and if you don't believe me, just Google Zoom etiquette, and you will see the etiquette is not um, in the past. Or type in the word etiquette in your Amazon book search, and you'll see all kinds of books on etiquette. You'll see things like Next Level Manners, Business Etiquette for Millennials, which sounds like a great book. Uh, (laughs) A Kid's Guide to Manners, 50 Fun Etiquette Lessons for Kids, so parents. Um, Or closer to home, you can actually check out uh, the Etiquette Institute of Ohio. It's here in Columbus. Wow. I know. And they partner with Ohio State. So maybe some of you have even had classes with the Etiquette Institute of Ohio. And according to their website, I looked at it. Uh, They help you with everything from remembering names, uh, which I need to learn, to table conversation, to polite dining. Whatever that is. Now look, I share all this because at first glance... It looks like that's all this passage is about. 
Uh, Jesus teaching us some table manners. Jesus teaching us some ancient table manners. We know from chapter 14, verse 1, that Jesus is at a dinner party. His host is a Pharisee who, uh, Pharisees were popular and influential religious leaders. They were influencers. And so Jesus settles into this dinner party and he notices something. We see it in verse 7. Jesus notices what? He notices that the other guests at this dinner party were trying to sit at the seats of honor. In an ancient honor-shame culture, which they were in, this was a very desirable and even understandable thing to do. The way you sat, the places that you sat at a dinner table conveyed, was symbolically like loaded with where you stood in society. In that society, people were ranked by status, and so the higher you were in your status, the better seat that you got to the host. The seat of honor. Well, Jesus notices that all of these guests were sitting as high as they possibly could. They were playing like musical chairs with the best seats. The only problem with this, Jesus knows, is that you will get ousted if somebody of higher social rank and status enters the dinner party. And guess what? Oftentimes, people of higher rank and status would enter the dinner party late. Why do you think they would do that? Oh, I'm here now. You have to go over there. (laughs) That's why. That's why. They always show the play to rub it in. Probably. Now, this is a big ask, but return with me in your mind's eye to middle school lunchroom. I am so sorry. Sorry to bring up painful stuff. Uh, But at my middle school, there were tables of honor. Can I get an amen? There were tables of honor. It was unspoken, but they were there. The cool kids stayed on. And I'll tell you one thing, this may not surprise you, but I was not a part of the table of honor. I was not in the cool kids' table. Uh, but from time to time, I could squeeze into that table because I'm like a really nice guy in school. But I knew intuitively, if I sat down at the cool kids' table and you know someone from the football team carries their tray and there is no space, who's getting up? I'm getting up. I knew intuitively that that would happen. And that is embarrassing. (laughs) That is embarrassing. So what do I do? I sit at my table. They want to invite me into the table? Cool. But otherwise, I'm just going to hang low. So on the surface, Jesus is saying, here's some good advice. (laughs) Just don't sit there in the first place. It's better to be promoted than demoted. And that's just solid advice. It's wise. So it's actually found in Proverbs 25. In Israel's book of wisdom. It's just kind of wise advice. For instance, I was just talking to my neighbor the other day. About the soccer team he's on. He plays in an adult league. And he says whenever he joins a new team. He always volunteers to play defense. Even though he knows that he can play striker. And his logic is just, I would rather be promoted to striker than sort of make myself striker, and then everybody would be like, um, we need to play defense. <laughs> it's just 
good advice. And so on the surface, Jesus is being a wise sage. But here's the question. Is that all Jesus is? And is that all Jesus is doing? No. In his text, good answer. Joey's a theologian. <laughs> Is Jesus just Mr. Manners? No. Some people certainly view Jesus this way as a sort of religious Mr. Manners. Here's some wisdom from Jesus. Here's some sage advice from Jesus. Well, Jesus is wise. He is sage. He is wisdom on legs. But he is more than that. He is the Son of God. He is the King of Kings. He is the Lord of Lords. And there has to be more to this than just table manners. Well, there is. And Luke tells us there is. So look again at verse 7. Luke says that Jesus is actually telling a parable. Did you catch that? The word parable here. So Luke is saying, this is a parable. And what is a parable? A parable is when we tell a story, when Jesus tells a story that uses everyday experiences, like dining at a table, for instance, um, to convey something about the ways of God. And so if we have ears to hear it, Jesus is actually telling us something this morning about what it means to follow Jesus. He's not giving us sort of table manners. He's in a way giving us kingdom manners. He's saying, this is the way the kingdom of God works. And it's upside down to the way that you are used to. You know, when Paul says, do not be conformed to the world, well, where did he get that from? He got it from King Jesus. King Jesus, in his teachings about the kingdom, is saying, this is absolutely against the grain of how we normally operate. But it is the ways of God. It is the ways of following Jesus. So if we have the ears to hear it, Jesus is telling us something. He's telling us something very important this morning about what it means to follow him in the wilderness. And two things I want to explore with you this morning. The first is this, that following Jesus is a downward journey. And number two, following Jesus is an outward journey. Downward and outward. Let's look at both starting with downward journey. Following Jesus is a journey into humility before God. Look at what Jesus says in verse 11. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. And he who humbles himself will be will be exalted. Jesus is saying, lowering yourself, humbling yourself, is intentionally taking, to use verse 10's language, the lowest place in the room. Jesus' followers seek the lowest place in the room. Following Jesus is, in other words, a downward journey. Pete Scazzaro, I mention him often, he's kind of a mentor I don't know. I appreciate his writings. In his book, The Emotionally Healthy Discipleship, he describes American Christianity as an upward journey. If we were to graph the American story, for instance, it would look like a curve sloping upwards. Creative writers tell us that there's basically six story arcs in literature. In fact, there are some scientists, which sounds very unliterary, but there are some scientists who actually looked at like 4,000 works of literature, and they discovered that essentially, if you map them on a grid, there's six shapes to the story. There's the rags to riches arc, 
which is sloping upwards. There's the riches the rag story, which is sloping downwards. There's the man in a hole story, which is things are great and things are not great. And things get redeemed. There's the Icarus story, which if you know the story of Icarus, things are not great. We go high and we go low. There's a Cinderella story. There's the Oedipus story. If you're a literature geek like I am, we can talk after this. And we can just brainstorm about all the different stories that follow these arcs. But here's what I want to point out. All of these have downward slopes in them except for one. The Rags Riches story. Which is the American Dream story. Which is the story that we are sort of in and breathing and living day in and day out. This is a steady move from the bottom to the top. In all areas of life. It's the most popular story arc, according to these researchers. Joe Bunting at the Wright Practice says this story arc moves in, quote, a continuous upward climb toward a happily ever after. And yes, again, this is the American dream story arc, which means American Christians will always be tempted to map their journey with Jesus to this storyline. We see Jesus as a means to sort of unfettered and uncomplicated material and worldly success. And so our journey with Jesus, we want to believe, is just one steady slope upwards. That's Gezerra's insight. But Jesus tells us here that biblical Christianity involves a downward journey. We humble ourselves. We go and sit in the lowest place. That's what Jesus says in this parable. We go and we sit in the lowest place. And yes, there is a lifting up. There is a lifting up or an exaltation in this verse. Jesus tells us about it. But notice two very important things about this exaltation. Number one, it is a divine lifting, not a human lifting. Jesus says we will be exalted, not we will exalt ourselves. In the presence of God, we go low, we lay ourselves down. We do not, like the Pharisees, show up and exalt in our success or our status or luxuriate in it. And so if any exaltation happens, it happens from God. That's number one. But also notice this is a future lifting. This is the most important difference to the American story is that our exaltation is in the future tense. Jesus assures his followers that we will be lifted up. But we do not expect an upward curve until Jesus comes to make all things right. Until then, we're carrying a cross and we're searching for the lowest places. And that is our posture before the Lord. And so the first thing we learn from this parable is that following Jesus is a downward journey. We walk into any room and we find the lowest place. We lower ourselves. Like John the Baptist, may we decrease so that the Lord increases. He is the highest, and he, we have all we need in Him, so we come in and we do not need to flaunt our flair. Religious, social, material, or otherwise. We know our moral bankruptcy before the Lord's holiness, and so we do not pretend otherwise in the presence of others. We simply walk into the room, even the house of worship, and we go low. 
That's the first thing. Following Jesus is a downward journey. That's not all Jesus tells us. He transforms this parable from the perspective of a guest to a host. If you look again at verse 12. He says, also to the man who invited him, when you give a dinner. So that now he's shifting the perspective. Now it's when you're giving, not when you're invited. When you're giving, don't invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. The question always comes up, is Jesus prohibiting inviting friends over to our houses? No, that's not what he's prohibiting. What he's prohibiting is a certain mindset that we have toward others, which is, what can I get out of you? If you were with us in the James study, we understood this as, what about me-ism? In every circumstance, even circumstances where we have to give of ourselves and our resources, we, by nature, ask, what do I get out of this? And that's what Jesus is confronting in this second story. Jesus references four people in his cultural moment who are on the outside, who are on the margins of society. These four were excluded from most communal meals, by the way. They didn't have social or material capital. And so if you are a host inviting these four that are in verse 13, it was a sunk cost by one perspective, or it had no social benefit in that cultural moment. Jesus lived in what historians have called a culture of reciprocity. It's an I'll rub your shoulders if you rub mine culture. And they'll say that's ancient culture, but I say it's very contemporary as well. I'll buy you lunch if you help me get a promotion. I'll invite you to our cocktail party if you invite me to yours so I can be seen. Sure, I'll help you out, but secretly I will begrudge you and until you help me out. This means that we live our life with our eyes only on what C.S. Lewis would call the, those in the inner circle, the inner ring. We don't pay attention to those on the outside of the inner ring because we don't think they can give us. We spend our lives trying to get into the center of the ring where we think we can gain. Gain acceptance. Gain prestige. Gain gain status. Fill that hole that is in our soul. And so we, we just clamor for that center spot. Well, Jesus tells us that life with him is not a journey just to the bottom, but it's a journey to the margins. It's a journey outward. We not only look to the lowest place, but we go to the outer place, to the most vulnerable person in the room. If you're on this wilderness journey with Jesus, then you are on a downward and an outward trajectory. Uh, this has been called The Little Way by Teresa Lasseau. And I think we all recognize it as a beautiful way of life. 
And intuitive, we see this, and we see it even in the life of Jesus. And every person I've ever talked to looks at the life of Jesus, especially in his life of downward and outward trajectory, and we see it as a beautiful thing. Even those who are not followers of Jesus acknowledge oftentimes, yeah, that is actually pretty cool. Jesus is a pretty awesome like, figure historically, they'll even say. Because of what? Because he's always finding the lowest seat, and he's always finding the most vulnerable person in the room. The only problem is that Jesus is saying, that's also you and me. And we recognize that it is impossible, humanly speaking, to live in that kind of trajectory. The Pharisees, in other words, in this text, are not some kind of extra special evil class of humanity. They're you and they're me. They're natural humanity because of sin, unable to go down and out. We want to go up and in. What we need is an inner transformation, just like anybody in Jesus' day. What we need is we need an invitation from God Himself to His banquet of grace. And when that happens, and when by the Spirit our heart is transformed, then and only then will we be able to and even be attracted to this downward and outward path. Which is why Jesus gives us verses 15 through 24. If the first story was us about us being a guest, the second story is about us being a host, what is the third story about? The third story is about the very heart of God as host. The ultimate host. And how does God throw a party? Well, Jesus tells us in verse 23, after so many invitations and still an empty house, what does he do? Verse 23, the master said, go out to the highways and the hedges and compel people to come in. Why compel? Because the people in the hedges of Israel would say, no, you got this wrong. I'm a There's no way I'm invited to this. You got the wrong person. And so the master, God himself says, compel them to come. Break through that resistance. Because they are most qualified to die in that banquet. They know their hunger. They know their need. They do know. That by themselves, they are the wrong person. That's how God throws a party. This last story is the story of Jesus, who reveals perfectly the heartbeat of God as Son of God. In any room, where does Jesus go? He goes to the bottom seat and he goes to the margins, to the most vulnerable person in the room, down and out. And when all the religious insiders, those proud of what they do and their morality, when they say no thanks to the dinner invitation, Jesus compels the spiritually hungry and outcast to come. And he serves them even at this table, which is you and which is me. Friends, until and unless we see Jesus racing to the bottom and to the margins to give you a place at his table, we will never do the same in the lives of other people. We will remain like the Pharisees here, jockeying for position and human honor. But when we see that the space at the table, at the Lord's table, was at the cost of Jesus and his, his body on, and blood at the cross, we will be compelled to lay it down for others as well. 
We have everything in We don't need anything from anyone. We don't need human honor. We have resurrection. Jesus says, you have, your reward will be the resurrection in, during the resurrection of the just. We have the promise of resurrection. That means we have unbelievable freedom today. We can lay down our lives even. Because we have everything we need in Jesus. We can bear our cross and not see it as something that uh, is a bummer. You know, it's the one part I hate about Christianity, that part. No, we can actually see it as a joy because of the cross when we bear it. We are down, down at the lowest seat where others are, and we're at the margins where others are, and we can bring the welcome of Jesus to others. And that's where we want to be. We want to be where Jesus is. Don't we? It's helpful to thank even as you walk into any room and just say, where is the lowest seat in this room? Where can I serve? Just like any room, like your house even, or this room, or where you go to work, or if you're driving in a car and you're doing a carpool, you can say, just where is the lowest seat? Where can I serve? And then say, who's the most vulnerable person in this room? What can I do to reach out? What can I do to come alongside? Because that's the pathways of Jesus. Because we received that from Jesus himself, we can now extend it to others. A few years ago, Simon Sinek, he gave a talk called, Why Leaders Eat Last. And he begins with a story of a military leader who threw himself into this terribly dangerous circumstance because his team was in danger. And Sinek asked this general after the fact, why would you risk your life so that others may survive? And the answer the general gave was, because they would have done it for me. Now here's the interesting thing that Sinek draws out of this. Sinek draws out of this that this is an indication of a healthy leadership culture. When the leader himself says, I know they would have done the same thing for me. The team saw their leader laying down his life for them on numerous occasions, which makes them willing and able to lay down their life for others. That's a healthy system. That's a healthy leadership culture, according to Sinek. When leaders eat last, everybody they lead wants to eat last. For Sinek, this is the difference between authority and leadership. Authority is just the ability to take for yourself. Leadership is using the authority you have to serve others at greatest cost, to find the... The, the lowest seat and the person on that margins. And that is Jesus. He is leadership. He is the King of Kings. He is authority. And He uses His authority to willingly and joyfully lay down His life on the cross so that you and I would have a seat at His table. So let's do the same. Let's do the same. That's our leader. We can go down now. We have all we need. Jesus, would you make it so? Would we, in this coming day, as we, in these coming days, as we approach this new week, would we recognize that this journey we're on with you is one to the lowest place and to the outer place? Would we see you first giving that for us? Release us into the freedom, Lord Jesus. 
of service, of helpfulness, of hesed, mercy, of rescue. Because, Lord, you have rescued us. We are so filled and we are so satisfied every day. So now when we bring that good news to others. And it's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thanks for tuning in. For more information about our church and for more resources like this, visit our website at hopechurchcolumbus.org.